Now come along and listen to us talk with the Bonjam. Go and have a lovely little walk with the Bonjam. Let me put it on and go to bed with the Bonjam. Or grab yourself a slice of toast and spread with the Bonjam. Hello and welcome to Bond Jam with me, Simon Jeffrey, and I'm joined by the Roger Moore to my Sean Connery, it's Mr James Turner. Oh, thank you, Simon. <laughs> uh, James, what are we talking about today? Uh, today we're doing a Doctor No episode, yes. so uh, we're discussing everything related to Doctor No, and I think it's worth noting that um, although we are incredibly familiar with Doctor No, that we have recently watched it, especially for these podcasts that we're doing. Yeah, I went back and I did a marathon of the Bond films from the start, starting with Doctor No. It does give a different spin going back and kind of watching it in order. Yeah. I was kind of trying to clear my mind of anything I knew about what followed. Mm-hmm. Almost imagine I was watching it yeah. at the time and, you know, just letting it affect me however it might. Because it's of, own individual film. Yeah, in a way. I think what struck me watching it again was just how much it actually got right, you know, straight out the gate. Hmm. It would have been very easy for it to um, not get a sequel if any one of those elements hadn't been right from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, good point. I don't know if you're familiar with one of the early drafts of Doctor No. Remind me, I may have, may have, may have I believe, I think it might have been Wolf Mankovich who did the first draft of it, but... Uh, Essentially, the the plot was very similar, and Doctor No is this kind of unseen, unheard figure mm. who just strikes fear into everyone who mentions his name, and mm. like he is in the yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. Their original plan was that when Bond walked in the door and finally saw Doctor No, it was going to be a monkey. No, that does ring a bell, actually. Yeah, I've heard something like this. I mean, it's very easy to think, well, that could have sent the series into a different direction. <laughs> One that maybe wouldn't have had the legitimacy to warrant 50 years or more of sequels. Yeah, yeah. You know, it might have had slightly shaky foundations had that been a kind of really bizarre <laughs> opener to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the idea was that actually it would reveal that this scary figure that everyone's afraid of didn't exist. It wasn't actually going to be like a talking evil chimp or something. Yeah, it was yeah. just going to be like, you know, the the strings were being pulled from elsewhere, which yeah. actually is intriguing. Yeah, but you mean as if it was Spectre that was? Yeah, that was maybe. Part yeah, of it and it's just all. Yeah. yeah, which could, which could be an idea, but at the same time, I'm glad they didn't do that. Yeah, yeah. I'm also glad they didn't do the scene from the book that included the giant squid. Yeah, I'd heard about this, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've not read the, the, the book. I know you're very familiar with the novels. Well, there's a scene in the film where uh, Bond is imprisoned and he escapes via a very convenient ventilation shaft. Yeah, and it turns out to be some sort of, like, a, a test. Is that right? Well, in the book it does. The book the, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what, the thing is, that's what I do. When I watch the film, I find myself filling in the blanks from what I know of the book. Yeah. If you just watch the film, that is just a ridiculous scene. Having read the book and you watch that scene again, you un- you understand ah, no, 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 that's not just a mistake of the film where the water comes through the air vent. That's a deliberate set yeah. of challenge. Like, he goes through like a really, really hot part of the vent yeah. and then he goes through a freezing cold one and you get only a, a you know, a hint of yeah. it but it's kind of like you do have to fill in the blanks to know what's going on. But at one point that 
that kind of obstacle course takes him outside into the in, onto a cliff face or in, into the sea or something, and there's this squid that kind of attaches it itself to him and uh he gets properly kind of scarred and ripped open across the chest and yeah. stuff with like welts and you know yeah. or where the suckers are which in the book it's kind of it kind of works it's yeah. kind of gruesome and um a little bit fantastical but it's very difficult to imagine them doing it on what was quite a modest budget yeah yeah um the time that yeah, the only thing you can kind of really of imagine time. comparing it to would be yeah. something like, uh, you know, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, rubber tentacles and things. It might not have aged that well. And yeah. again, that might have been something like The Monkey that uh, that might not have given it as sure footing to build an entire series on. You know, if the Bond series always had this slightly embarrassing, shaky start, it might not have lasted as long as it had. Yeah. So I think the best thing that can be said for Doctor No, whether you like it and rank it right at the top or whether it's kind of somewhere down the bottom for you, is that it did a really good job at getting a lot of stuff right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it formed a really solid foundation to, to build from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plot-wise, I still don't really understand what it's about. Well, I understand. I know what I really like about it is I like the kind of detective spree that he has to go. Well, on. yeah, absolutely. I think that that's one of the things I picked up on rewatching it. It's like there's a lot of spy stuff going on. He's tr- he's following leads. Yeah. Uh, he, he's. I like when I like when a Bond film starts with, "This is all we've got to go on." Can you go and figure out what's yeah, happening? Have an investigation. Just go for it. See what you can find. You know, it's not like. Doctor No is in Crab Key and he's toppling missiles and you need to go and kill him. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like Strangways hasn't reported. It's, it's a mystery. Yeah. And it's like a little detective series and, and I love it for that and I and I think it sets it up really well. Yeah. When you say trying to understand the story, you're talking about the whole concept I, of toppling missiles. Well yeah, it's it's more I don't really understand what Doctor No's no. scheme is. I know he is essentially working for Spectre. Yeah, and he's doing something bad for them but what what does toppling missiles entail does that mean blowing up a missile before it takes off does that mean it means uh interrupting the guidance or the gyroscopic uh, satellite that controls sending missiles off course using a radio beam or something so (laughs) so i was i was thinking that and then i was thinking well why is this some water radiation radioactive well, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I don't know what it is. It's it's a nuclear reactor. Nuclear reactor. So what's that doing there? And why does Bond go into that little danger level thing, just turn it, cause the whole place to blow up? Well, uh, presumably... make the plan go to... Uh, presumably fail. the nuclear reactor powers whatever massive amount of energy is required to, to do something with radio beams. Yeah, because obviously the radio beam comes out... Is it missiles or is it like space rockets? It's space rockets. There's right? space rockets that are taken off on the black and white screens. So is this like a prelude to kind of you only live twice? Is this like pitting one side against another? It could be. It's not really West, explained. All yeah. just points on a compass. It's as stupid as each other. Well, yeah, well, he does talk about. Uh, uh, Maybe it's just West, so world he... domination, same old dream. Yeah. yeah. That is what well, this podcast is going to be relegated to me dropping in quotes that no one. <laughs> No, but you are. I think you answer something. I think that's what it is. It is about East versus West. But I think that 
goes to say something that we have watched it between us how many times, but we're still just saying, I think you're onto something. Maybe it is that. It's obviously not implicit in the script or in the story itself. No, no. As with the bits in the, you know, in his escape, I'm filling in the blanks from what I know from elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well... I think it makes sense. What I what I enjoy about Doctor No, the character, is the build-up to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that everyone is afraid and, uh, you know, Jones would rather swallow cyanide than be taken back to him uh you know and uh to say that dr no appears in the film some something like 80 minutes in to a 108 minute runtime something like that so he's in the film 15 to 20 minutes tops i'd say less than that he makes an incredible impression in that time yeah yeah absolutely yeah Uh, i think that's one of the beauties of having a mythos of a character be built yes. up and throughout the film. And also all the elements in play, all the filmmaking techniques and you know the sound design and the set design especially, all works to support that. Ken Adams' design with the single chair in that huge room and just the voice that comes down. Yeah. The doctor, that's really quite chilling. Yeah. yeah. It was just kind of like, sit down. <laughs> and it's like, oh, my word. Yeah. <laughs> But really, that was budgetary. You know, the whole film cost a million dollars, which was not a lot of money. So just make a huge room with one chair in the corner. But it's so much better than if it had been, like, some elaborately decorated office or or, or something like that. And like I say, it just goes back to that point of it got so much right from the start, and Ken Adam was one of those things. Yeah, I think Joseph Wiseman is a really good actor in the scenes he has as Doctor No. The yellow face is a slight issue, but it does come down to like cultural sensibilities of the time and just filmmaking norms of the time. It was directors and producers casting people they knew, people they wanted to work with. And in those days, you know, the film industry was was a lot more like theatre. It was, you know, we need you to play this part, so we need you to look the part, so we'll get you a costume or we'll put some makeup on you and it wasn't actively trying to be offensive. And actually, beyond saying the character is Chinese, I don't think he does anything to to really portray it in yeah, any yeah. stereotypical way. Stereotypes. And it's a really kind of satisfying reveal when you finally meet this person. Yeah. It is what you hope he'll be like, or what you think he might be. It's kind of this strange, reptilian, gaunt-looking... Mm. figure very still very composed um there are some great characters i i really like quarrel in this film yeah i've always liked quarrel and i've always been saddened by his death you know that was a positive character played by a black actor who has plenty to say and plenty to do and he does help bond a lot and he's cared about and he's given that moment and it does it does work there are there are problems with his portrayal oh, yeah, i'm not going to yeah. lie it has a slightly kind of subservient attitude throughout yeah, he calls yeah, him yeah. captain all the way yeah, through yeah. and he's kind of like always looking to them for so what do we do now captain you know yeah. it's just like you know constantly kind of waiting for his orders kind of thing and the less we talk about fetch my shoes, the better. But um, <laughs> I don't want to dwell on that aspect. It's been done by, by many other people. But I think, generally speaking, it is a warm, colourful character. Yeah. And again, it goes back to getting so many things right. And one of them is giving Bond some, some really interesting people to work with along the way. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, 
yeah, sadly, he didn't live much longer. He died only a couple of years later after. Oh, really? After Doctor No, oh. I think died in '65 oh. or something like that. John Kitzmiller. But, oh, that's uh, a shame. Another um, colourful person Bond meets along the way to help him is the first appearance of Felix Leiter. Yeah, in the incarnation of Jack Lord, and in what's probably the coolest incarnation yeah i think we'll we might talk about this in its own episode because there's probably enough to talk about but i think jack lord is the coolest felix lighter some say i've heard criticism that he's too cool perhaps yeah yeah i just love how softly spoken he was when he's like hold it yeah yeah, yeah. hold it (laughs) Um, and then when he just casually just gives oh he's so slick yeah yeah, yeah. he's one of my favorites i think if like i would have been happy if he'd been the felix if he'd stuck with it yeah unfortunately i think by the time they wanted to use felix again he was wanting more money or Mm -hmm. equal billing and whatever happened we it was the first in a long line of felixes (laughs) who each brought something different to the character another thing that the film gets right is the introduction of bond yeah yeah one of the most iconic sequences of the series honestly i was thinking this sean connery the way he looks in dr no is is immaculate a bit where miss taro walks into the room that bond is in Mm. uh and he's sat in a chair i think he might have a cigarette in his hand and he first sees miss taro and he just like slowly eases into the chair just to just to have a look. This is an audio see. podcast, James. We can't see. I know, I know, no, but, I, I, but I, he just the, the yeah. movement he does in that chair just to look at Mister. I made a. Uh, it's really cool. I've I've just looked down at my notes that I was making while I was watching the film, and um, it says almost exactly what you just said. It yeah. says, "Never been cooler than his first scene." Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just so cool, and I love that scene with Sylvia Trench as well. Obviously, she leads him up to the famous line perfectly. That is the way to deliver that line. Yeah. You know I have a specific view on this line. <laughs> she gets to say it first, in a way. She yeah. she, she yeah, gets she's, that quote she's first. The per- she's the person who invented it. I admire your courage, Miss... Trench. Sylvia Trench. I admire your look, Mr... Bond. James Bond. Which is the... Perfect response to the question you asked. Yeah. But if I was to ask you, uh, so what's your name, sorry? Simon. Oh, no, but if you were to say it like in the same way... I wouldn't. No, no one yeah, would. Yeah, exactly. If you met someone and they were like, uh, what's your name? Uh, Turner. James Turner. What weirdo that person is. What is be like, oh, such a loser. Yeah. <laughs> the word Bond should be offered as an answer to, you know, what's your surname? Yeah. Mr... Mr. Mr. And Mr. It completely changes his meaning because it's Bond answering the question. Bond. 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 And then a friendly gesture. Mm. Here is my first name. James Bond. James Bond. James Bond. Yeah. Which is something I really like in Die Another Day that he doesn't do it. Because <laughs> it's like, you're not getting my first name. <laughs> Mr. Bond. Mr. Bond. Which, th- don't get me wrong, there are versions of that famous phrase where, th- that I love that break my rule. Who are you? Bond. James Bond. My name's Bond. James Bond. Oh, by the way, we haven't been properly introduced, Molina. My name is Bond. James Bond. I don't know who the guy is at the start who, um, 
who yeah, comes no, asking yeah, he, for Because he, he seemed introduced to him first in that scene. I'm looking for Mr. James Bond. What name should I say, sir? Just give him my card, will you? You expect him to actually have some sort of meeting with Bond after that once he's got the message across to Bond, yeah. something, or have some sort of role in the film, but no, he just, he just says, oh, it's James Bond here, whatever, and even before that, I think that's about eight minutes into the film. I don't even know who half the characters are leading up to that. Like, who's, there's a guy who yeah. answers the radio at the yeah, start, and he's yeah. just like, "No, sir, no, there's been no communication at all, no." No, sir, it's not a technical fault. Yes, sir. So then Bond comes to MI6, or is it MI6? Is it MI7? <laughs> Since I've been head of MI7, there's been a that was dubbed. Later, yeah, it was. Yeah, but MI6 is said in that control room, right? Give me the MI6 radio security control. So, MI6 is mentioned, and then when it comes to M saying the, the theory is that the filmmakers were worried about offending a real department, so they chose to make it a fictional one. But in every subsequent film, it just became MI6 again. Yeah. Um, so it's just one of those things you kind of just ignore. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> something you shouldn't really... And there are much. a lot of moments in the film series which either they hope you ignore or I choose to ignore yeah. through my own kind of head canon <laughs> and continuity. Yeah. This never happened to the other fellow. First appearance of uh, Major Boothroyd. Yep. Not played by Desmond Llewellyn, but played mm-hmm. by... Uh, Peter Burton, I believe. Yep. Not available, I think, for the next film. I can't. I, I think I did recall hearing something like that. So yeah, they had to recast, and history was then made. History was made. Yeah. It is a nice scene, though. In a way, yeah, I, I kind of like it. Yeah. It, you know, with the benefit of hindsight and the whole series behind us now, it would have been nice for him not to have been called the same character. Then he could just kind of occupy a more comfortable space in canon, yeah, you know, yeah, in the history, yeah. you know, it'd be like, oh yeah, he was just the Q before. Yeah. My favourite line in that is when it's like, oh, what do you think of this gun? Nice and light. In a lady's handbag. Oh, <laughs> burn, Bond. <laughs> I think this was like the first time I watched the film where I questioned whether certain characters were meant to be Chinese or not. Yeah, I... I, I... In the book... And I won't always compare the films to yeah, the book, yeah. but it's just because I've re-listened to the audio book recently, as narrated by uh, Hugh Quashi. Uh, very good, very well delivered. But there's this recurring theme that Bond can basically recognise anyone who's affiliated with Doctor No because they are all the same race. Right. Okay. So in the film, I think they're trying to hint at that that like everyone Doctor No has working for him is someone he's brought with him from China. Yeah. So, so Miss Tarot, I believe, is meant to be. Yeah. I wasn't sure if the photographer was meant to be or not. So Thankfully, they're not doing any kind of over-the-top offensive accents or anything, because that would make the film a lot less easy to watch. But then again, was all this dubbed anyway, off at all their roles? Well, that's it. I mean, basically, every female in the film, apart from Lois Maxwell, was dubbed by Nicky Vanderzil. Yeah who was essentially just the go-to, go, voice, go-to uh, voice actor in a time where it was just common practice to yeah. do that. So unless you were basically famous and your voice was famous too, mm. it had no guarantee that it would stay it, yeah. with you. <laughs> um, Which I think is ridiculous, because if you're filming a scene and you're keeping Sean Connery's voice, that means you have to mute everything else what the other actor says. Yeah. Robert Rearty, obviously, is the king of it, uh, doing the voices of 
among others, I think John Strangways in Doctor No, Largo in uh, Thunderball, uh, Tiger Tanaka, um, the mysterious bald-headed, not quite sure if he's Blofeld in For Your Eyes Only, <laughs> amongst yeah. others, and also lots of other characters in the films who say maybe one line here or there. Yeah, yeah. The thought being, we've got a guy in the studio who's here already. He can do lots of voices. We don't need to get someone else in to do that guy. We don't need to pay someone else to do that guy. Just get him, get him to do them all. Basically, cost-effective. Cost yeah. I think we've just answered our own question. <laughs> the whole idea of the gun battle... That's a, it's quite a nice little cinematic element to use. To, yeah, but it's also it? really kind of abstract, isn't it? Yeah, I don't that's think what I, mean, it, yeah. I don't think it represents anything literally, does no. it? It's the point of view of what the the bullet in the chamber. Yeah, oh, essentially, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's quite it's quite a clever. But then the blood coming down, obviously, it's not actually meant to be physically dripping down the gun, is yeah, it? It's, it's kind of symbolic. It, it, yeah, it's a really yeah. kind of. Uh, abstract opener that must have kind of I don't know if it confused people at the time or, or what they were like what is this yeah yeah well, um, I think it's, it's something there's something about that very first gun barrel with just the kind of silence and the yeah, uh, yeah. and those kind of strange noises of um, I suppose we look back now and go wow that that stands out mm, but I kind of uh, like how how uh, urgent the music is when it does yeah. start yeah and how straight into the theme, how uh, electrifying that theme is, yeah. Um, and boy, do they get their use out of it <laughs> <laughs> because uh, that was that was written uh by Monty Norman or attributed to him. He himself acknowledged uh, that John Barry did the definitive arrangement of his theme, yeah, yeah. and I think that is generally accepted to be the yeah, case yeah. because it sounds different to the rest of the score as well, yeah. Well, I think that's. The score for Doctor No is the thing that dates the film the most. It is, unfortunately, yes. And compared to From Wish With Love a year later. It does feel like it was made, you know, ten years before From Wish With Love, mm. from a sound perspective, yeah. from a from a music perspective at least. That's not to say there aren't cues that I quite like. It's kind of overscored in places. There are kind of Mickey Mouse kind of um Synchronized when he's crushing the tarantula, and it's uh, you know, it's, dun, it's, dun, it's, it's a bit, it's a dun, bit cartoony. Dun, dun. <laughs> a little bit cartoony in the um, in those couple of scenes, and and some of it has not aged as well as subsequent scores. Yeah, at the very end of the film where Felix arrives on the boat, and there's some sort of like. I don't know, it's some sort of like military-esque music and it, it, it just really stands out. It, didn't, it wasn't necessary. Hi, Mr. Bond. Hi, Mr. Bond. Well, well, what's the matter? Do you need help? Quite sure you don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, it just sounds really dated and then it just slowly fades out. Very interesting title sequence on this one. But you can see... The seed. It's actually one of my favourites. It's very yeah. kind of sixties, but also very kind of uh, still got women dancing. Kind of like pop art though, just the circles. Yeah. It's very the circle part, yeah. Very modern, I yeah. think, for the time. 
it has an urgency i think to it and yeah. it's you know because the music is 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 quick and upbeat yeah. the weird thing is about that title sequence is that the kind of the, the theme tune kind of plays out and they've still got credits left to go so they kind of just um <laughs> it goes into just a kind of generic calypso beat for a yeah. little bit yeah and then it goes into the and then three it goes into three blind so there's, there's, in that title sequence there's three different songs yeah. but yeah like you say it does yeah. have the dancing uh, men and women Oh yeah, you're right. Actually, um, yeah. and then yeah, I love the uh, the the silhouettes of the three blind mice. I just love the color palette of that yeah, kind of yeah. pastel-y kind of uh, reds and peaches yeah, and stuff. Yeah. It's, again, I don't really know what the norm was for for films at that time, but it just strikes me that that would have been an eye-catching and memorable little sequence. Yeah, and, you know, those characters aren't developed beyond three blind mice, mm-hmm. but you remember them. Yeah, and. Yeah. You know, they kill Strangways. Yeah. Damn it. Poor Strangways. Are you alone? What are you doing here? Looking for shells? No, I'm just looking. So, this film started off the tradition that's been in every Bond film ever since, the Bond girl. Yeah, in the form of Honey Rider. Doesn't show up for a very long time. No, she doesn't. Um... About an hour or so into the film, I think. Yeah. One of the most iconic entrances of the entire series. Yeah, it's a great moment. It launched Ursula Andress into the stratosphere for a time. She was just, yeah. uh, you know, and she said herself, like, I just, all I had to do was just put on this bikini. It wasn't even like a particularly kind of small or skimpy bikini. It was kind of, yeah. <laughs> and just come out of the water. I mean, they couldn't do it like it was written in the novel where she was completely naked except for a belt with a <laughs> knife on it. Uh, I don't know that we would necessarily want to see that um, in a mainstream film, at least. <laughs> um, but, yeah, very um, strong, independent. Oh, sorry, I was having a <laughs> You were, you just, yeah. James just drowned. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. She does set the benchmark high. Mm. There's a slight kind of... Um, Kind of slightly childlike aspect to her, yeah. Yes, yeah. Like, yeah. She's sort of a bit naive, mm-hmm. but then also she's kind of as with a lot of Bond girls. Uh, there's a hint of a sort of traumatic past or traumatic incidents in her yeah, past. Yeah. She's useful, yeah. Perhaps in a kind of overeager child kind of way. You know, if you like, I know a good place to hide, and it's like, <laughs> well, that'll do for a start. I think she has information that Bond can use yeah. to help him navigate Crab Key, really. There's a moment when, they, when they're when they captured by Dr. No and they're in their plush cell where she says, like, her hands are sweating. Yeah, yeah. Bond says something which I don't think he's ever said since. He says, of course I'm scared too. Yeah. Has Bond ever admitted to being, being scared, scared before? <laughs> I can't say. It's a really nice yeah, moment. Really, yeah. And you feel like he is actually scared. Yeah, yeah. And it's one of the few times we see Bond bleeding. Mm. Uh, he's got a ripped shirt. It almost feels like John McClane at one point where he's just covered in blood and his hair's flopping all over the place. And that, is very, that is very like the books a lot of the yeah, time. Yeah. Bond gets yeah. really beat up in the books to an extent that we don't often see in the films as much as I would like. Yeah, yeah. Because the ideal Bond for me is someone who starts off looking immaculate and ends up bloodied and beaten yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then maybe somehow comes back out of it at the end but you know not someone who kind of straightens their tie after a fight and yeah, is unscathed yeah, yeah. necessarily although that has its place too in a different <laughs> way but 
Yeah, no, he, he, uh, he goes through the ringer a little bit in this. And it's pain in a way that you can kind of relate to as well. Yeah. Like burning your hands yeah. on a hot surface and things like that. Other than the main villain of Doctor No, Bond comes across um, a couple of interesting characters on the way. Mm-hmm. A couple. I, well, that's another part of his detective story that I love. It's just kind of like, who are you? Are you good or are you bad? Yeah, yeah. That element where I feel like it's almost like a Sherlock Holmes detective mm. thriller where he's, he's, he's investigating who his last contacts were. And well, I love all that stuff with Professor Dent, though. I mean, I love the character. I love mm. how Anthony Dawson plays him as this kind of really untrustworthy character but still with an edge of never quite sure you know? yeah, <laughs> but he's yeah. kind of got it, it, does come, it, it comes across as friendly when Bond mm. first meets him and it seems quite nice but I love that kind of nervousness where he's like um, hops on the boat and he's like I need to get to Crab Key yeah. now <laughs> he's clearly a scared scared man um, and then that scene with like the single chair and the tarantula mm. in the cage Yeah. but the first time they try to kill him the they're just going to shoot him and then the car... Well, yeah, if they're going to just shoot him the first time, why do they try and do it with a spider the second time? Yeah. <laughs> did he go in there during the night and put the spider in there? Or did he just leave the spider in the room? Just hope uh, he crawls on him when he's uh, asleep. And, hope uh, it doesn't crawl all the way back to my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come back, Professor, <laughs> said the spider. I just did a little spider mime there for you. Um, <laughs> I mean, his death is fantastic. Professor Dent. It's that probably scene. the most one of the most brutal moments. In it there. was trimmed down in the edit as well. Apparently, Bond like emptied his entire gun into him <laughs> when he was like on the floor, but they settled for just uh, shooting him once and then shooting him one more time in the back. Yeah, it's just like if he, he had emptied five more shots into him, that would have been a bit excessive, I think. Yeah, it would have been. But even the extra shot once he's been like face flat down on the floor, right into the base of and his then, spine. Yeah, and you, you see his arm like kind of reach out. And, it's brilliant. Try and, and that goes back to... Um, react to the pain. Just the essence of what Bond is and who he is. He's an assassin. Yeah. And uh, that is a brilliant... I mean, I want more scenes like that. Yeah. I want more scenes of Bond doing the job that we all know he does, yeah. but we don't see it that often. How often do you see him just kind of, like, assassinating someone because that's his job to do it? Yeah, yeah. That's... They're always like, no, they had to because he was left with no choice because he was about to get shot. But how often does he just, like, take out a sniper and shoot someone? Not yeah. very often at all. But that is his job. That is bound to be part of his job. I like it. I was just, like, chilling out on this playing solitaire on the, little, yeah, yeah. Uh, on the table next to him because he knows he's going to have to wait and he mm. knows he's going to stay in that position. When um, Bond says, that's a Smith & Wesson and you've had your six, yeah. it's not a Smith & Wesson. Listen, <laughs> no. <laughs> What I noticed watching the film, and this is really nitpicking now, yeah. but just from a kind of uh, firearms point of view while we're on the topic, mm. is that several characters uh, who are on the same side point their guns at each other numerous times throughout the film. How do you mean? Quarrel's basically just standing, talking to him, saying, so what's next, Catman? And he's just holding his gun pointed at Bond's body. <laughs> and Felix, I think, does the same thing. He's just having a conversation, but just stood there pointing a gun at the person he's talking to. <laughs> right. Whereas you're always taught, like, with guns, you know, don't point your gun at yeah, anything yeah, you don't want yeah. to destroy. Um, I've, I've never noticed that. But if you watch the film again, yeah. you'll just notice how many times Bond should have just punched the guy out for, yeah, for yeah, even yeah. raise. Like, if you do that in real life and you were stupid enough to hold your gun up pointing towards someone... 
you either get shot or tackled to the ground immediately. And Bond should have done that the second Quarrel just, you know, crawls along the beach after they've been getting shot at. And he's yeah. just like, so now what, Captain? What do we do? And he's just like pointing his gun at Bond like as if it's a finger, you know, just pointing <laughs> at him. Easily done when it's a prop and you're an actor because yeah, you just yeah. want something to do with your hands. Yeah, We've all yeah. been there. <laughs> yeah, just it's one of those weird Stop details. Stop waving the gun about. Well, this is, uh, this is me just really knowing we were going to do this podcast and just watching the film in, I think, more detail than I'd ever yeah, watched. Well, looking it, for yeah. things yeah, to I, talk I, about. I, I was yeah, doing the same. High point? Low point, yeah. Conclusion. Think you can do that? I think so. Yeah. Um, do you want to say yours, or shall I say mine? I mean, to me, there's a lot of high points. I think Bond's introduction is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. My, the bit I enjoy the most, genuinely, is just him doing his job, meeting the people and questioning them. I mean, Daniel Craig in his films, he does a lot of you know going against his orders and going rogue and all of yeah, that. Yeah. It is good to see Bond just doing his job damn yeah. well sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think if I was to say like a low point for me, I think the music dates it quite a bit and there is a sort of slightly saggy middle quarter of it. <laughs> I think the whole the, the bit with the whole radiation, going through radiation yeah, cleansing, that, little- that could have been cut massively. Yeah, I think I think that's pretty much it. I think the uh the finale is pretty weak as well. Yeah. Just the, the operation seems to go on and on and it's just like waiting for things to it count down. It seems to just kind of maybe lose its sense of individuality and just yeah. kind of settle for a more generic action ending. Yeah, you know? I think you're right. Yeah. I always found that scene kind of annoying just the sound of the siren that goes on all the way through that scene. When I was younger, I remember turning the volume down when it was just like, and I'm like, but generally, no, I think it's a, a really impressive for the modest budget that it had starting out you know with no guarantee of success no formula to follow it's, 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 and it did a yeah. marvelous job at setting the series off on the right foot it is in some ways kind of you know proto bond film a kind of fetus of a bond film in a way you know it's the 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 elements are beginning to show that will be developed more later but yeah. um Embryonic was the word, not fetus. <laughs> you know what I mean. Just kind of like, okay, all the elements are there. I can see where you're going with this. We'll we'll get better at certain parts later and stuff. But certain parts are remarkably well accomplished right away. Yeah, yeah. You know, Sean Connery yeah. was never cooler than his first scene. You know, and he wasn't a massive name when the film came out, but you know he's the hero of the film the second you see him. Yeah, yeah. which Absolutely. is brilliant. Yeah. I wonder if that was the reason why that random guy who we never see again. Is he done? Give the appearance that he, oh, this is this James? Oh no, it's not James. Bond. Well, I wondered yeah. like you know when when he walks in, you don't know who it is. Whether it's kind of just misdirection, yeah, of, like yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. Um, because you know they play that that scene beautifully when they don't show Sean Connery straight away, yeah. and it's just close ups, and it's like oh, I want to see his face. Yeah. I want to see his face. There's his face, and it's beautiful, man. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's no. I mean, I mean, it's very easy to say Sean Connery is James Bond. He is the best James Bond. He'll mm-hmm. always be the because he did it first. And maybe anyone who did it first would kind of make the the template for what followed. But yeah. as much as sometimes I like to disagree with the masses, it's it's easy to see why when you watch that first scene. <laughs> yeah, for me, the low point is the same. For the dated score, uh, I would have just loved to have seen a similar score to what Mushroom with Love had. Mm. And the high point for me, the scenes from when Ursula Andres comes out of the sea to the bit where the dragon tank appears. All, all that stuff on Crab Key. Oh, really? Hiding in the jungles to, to avoid uh, the guys looking for them and stuff. I can't, I love all that stuff. Yeah, it does take its time to, to make you feel the peril in each situation it hasn't got like a long list of set pieces to get through and and rushed through mm, it yeah. kind of just takes its time yeah. to let you okay this is the scene where they're going to walk through the swamps yeah and i would have actually liked to have seen a bit more of Crabkey yeah. of them trying to find where dr no's located really on mm. Crabkey. there are a couple of moments where it shows maybe signs of script compromise or bits that have been removed yeah there's a bit where bond kind of comes and rescues honey and she's chained down and yeah 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 not really sure like, what's, oh, going, what, on what was going on there i think i i know from reading it like behind the scenes yeah. what was meant to happen there but you're just kind of left to fill in the gaps like she's just kind of chained next to a drain somewhere yeah. maybe they ran out of money or something yeah. but it is one that I kind of hold in a high, but in a kind of weird league of its own. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, it does feel like separate from the rest of the series. Where but... I'm willing to overlook certain things where it doesn't quite get it exactly all the way to where we've come to expect it, because it's the first outing and it does so much right Yeah, that you just have to sit back and admire it mm-hmm. for, for doing as well as it did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's play games with James. Yay! I have no idea what to expect from this little segment. So, this is going to uh, be a little feature that hopefully will continue uh, at the end of every show, if I manage to think of something, where I come pre-prepared with some form of game or challenge for Mr. James Turner. I'm scared, because... Play the jingle. There's no jingle. I haven't done anything. Maybe there will be a jingle. Maybe there will be a jingle. Maybe games be. with James. Okay. Games with James. I've not been brushing up on any of my knowledge, so I may embarrass myself here. This isn't specifically about Dr. No. Okay. Okay. We will play the International Titles Game. Oh, my God. This sounds pretty cool. I like this, yeah. But I want you to tell me what these alternative foreign language titles, uh, which Bond film they... Uh, are alternative titles for? I could have explained that a lot better than I just did. That wasn't. That was almost not English. I'm going to read this off. There are twenty in total. To be honest, I would actually rather be in the position I'm in than doing the quiz because I probably would not be able to pronounce any of them. Well, they're translated into English. Oh right. Oh, oh so you're reading the translation. This is number one. In Italy, the film was called Agent 007: License to Kill. Oh God, that could literally be anything. Or is that actually the license to kill? Uh, no, it is Doctor No. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is the that that was what Doctor No was known as. Right, okay. Uh, slightly easier one. Okay. In Russia, this particular film was called Die, but not today. 
So I'm guessing that's <laughs> Diana of the Day. It is. I should say that this uh, these were all taken either from IMDb or from www.universalexports.net. Um, so props to those guys. And if they're wrong, complaints to those guys too. <laughs> Are we having a little bing if I get it right? And a... uh, mm. Just say bing now. Bing. We'll add that in. Okay. Cool. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that's for the wrong one. So number three, and I'll pick up the pace because we've got 17 more after this. Okay. In Brazil, which film was called 007 and the Atomic Blackmail? 007 and the Atomic Blackmail. There is some logic to it. Okay, Atomic Blackmail. I'm presuming it's Thunderball. It is, correct. Yeah. Bing! Which film in Sweden was known as From a Lethal Viewpoint? <laughs> Is that a view to a kill by any chance? I'm glad that you said that, James, because it's exactly what you'd think it would be, but it's not. Oh. It was for your eyes only. What? In Japan, which film was called 007 Dies Twice? <laughs> I can only presume that's you only live twice. It is. Bing. They're not yeah. all trick questions. Yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah. Brazil, uh, again. 007 and the Death Rocket. And the Death Rocket. I don't want to say what I immediately go to, but I'm just going to go for it. Moonraker. It is, correct. Okay. Bing. Which film in Israel was called Murder in the Eyes? Murder in the Eyes. I'm going to cut out some of your thinking time. Uh, thanks, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to go for Golden Eye because it's got eyes in it. Uh, you'd be incorrect. Ah, oh, damn. No, uh, Murder in the Eyes, not that far away from A View to a Kill. Oh, yeah, I can see that making sense. Yeah, view, you see, yeah. you can see a view with your eyes and uh, looking at Killing somebody, yeah, should have had that. Which Bond film's Swedish title translated to Diamond Fever? I'm going to go for Diamonds Are Forever. You are correct, sir. Diamond Fever. Bing! Which Bond film's French and Belgian title translates to Death Is Not A Game? Ooh. This is not related in any way to the English title. Yeah. Or, in that... fact, to any events in the film whatsoever. Okay, so really, essentially, <coughs> this could be absolutely any film. I- I'm just going to go and say, um, from Wish We Love. Uh, no, it's not. It's, uh, it's actually Living Daylights. Oh, right. Death is not a game. That's quite a good title. In Sweden, the title of this film was Agent 007 Sees Red. Ooh. It's got to be licensed to kill. Why do you say that? Just talk us through your thinking there, because it's not. It's not. I don't know. I'd say it's, it's a revenge film. Can you think of any other possible reasons why it might be the word red? What that might imply? From Russia with love. There we go. Ah, damn it. <laughs> Bulgaria. Which film's title translates to Spectrum of Comfort? <laughs> Is it Quantum of Solace? It is. That's quite cool. I was going to put you off then by just delaying the second part. I'm going to ignore the first part of this because it actually has the name of the film, colon, and then this. Okay. So I'm just going to give you the second part. All right. Which film in Argentina translates to 007 versus the Deadly Girls? Okay, so I'm going to go with Honor Majesty's Secret Service. You would be incorrect, ah, sir. Damn, so hold on. It the, is, uh... the full title is Octopussy, 007 oh. versus the Deadly Girl. It's not, it's not versus him, he's, he's, <coughs> he's working The with titles him. have no bearing yeah, on my film. God damn it. Back to Sweden we go. 
which film's title translates to Ice Cold Mission. Uh, I'm going to go with Dying of the Day, Simon. Uh, you would be incorrect. It is, in fact, The Living Daylights. Stupid. <laughs> well, there's quite a few films set in the snow. We're going to go to Israel now for the film 007 in the Dangerous Zone. The Dangerous Zone. I'd say it's an early film, and I'm going to go with uh, Goldfinger. Uh, no, you'd be incorrect. It's Living Daylights again. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and we're going to Belgium now. Which film's name translates to Dangerous Mission? <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, I'm going to go with Golfing. <laughs> uh, no, it's a view to a kill. Uh, <laughs> incidentally, uh, I looked up Goldfinger to see if there were any alternatives. They all translate to Goldfinger. Okay, so I'll, know, I'll never say Goldfinger yes. for ones that I don't know what it's going to be. In Hungarian, this film's name translates to... The Phantom Returns. The Phantom Returns. Um, I'm going to say Diamonds Are Forever. Why? I just thought, <laughs> well, I was going to say, um, who could the Phantom be if they're returning? Someone's returning, someone's come, coming back. Sure, so, sure, sure. You're thinking too much about this. Yeah. <laughs> what does the word Phantom mean? Um, oh, I don't know the true definition, but well, I guess it means some sort of like ghostly figure sort or of spectre. Yeah, was that word spectre? <laughs> oh my god! Well, I was thinking of something old. Oh, that interesting. In Japan, this film's title translates to "The Dead Slave." Dead slave. Hmm. I honestly have no idea, so I'm just going to go live and let die. You'd be correct. Oh, well, oh great. Uh, we're going to stay in Japan now for The Queen's 007. And I'm guessing that's on the Manchester Secret Service. You'd be right. Hey. Uh, Italy gave us the film Moving Target. Moving Target. Which sounds like a really bad Jean-Claude Van Damme. I was going to say, it does sound like that, yeah. Um, I'm just going to go with A View to a Kill. You'd be correct. Yes. Bing. And one, maybe my personal favourite to finish. Oh, that's good. Um, which film in Denmark uh, had the title 007 is being chased? 007 <laughs> is being chased. Isn't that pretty much every film that is in? Um, I'm just going to go with... Um, we've not had The Spiral of Me. Let's go for The Spiral of Me. No, funnily enough, most of those titles translate to just The Spy Love oh, right, or okay. Beloved Spy or something like that. I don't even know if he is being chased in this film, but it's from Russia with Love. <laughs> that is weird, yeah. Double <laughs> Seven is being chased. Well, you scored a magnificent 10 out of 20. You are oh, well. very, very average. You're 50% Thanks. of a winner. And that concludes Games with James. Is that what I called this feature? Yes, yes Games yeah. with James. Games with James. Uh, any last thoughts? Well, on Doctor No or no, Games anything, with James? Anything, anything. Do you, do you like the feature? Do you want to see more of Games with James? I certainly would like to see Games with James. Good. Uh, we'll keep a running um, total of how well you've done. Yeah, so 50%. I'm sure I can beat that for the next time. Damn well, uh, I hope so. Yeah. Well, that about wraps it up. You can catch us on YouTube... We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, and we're on SoundCloud. So whichever your platform of choice is, uh, you can find us there. If you've got a platform that you want us to try and get onto, let us know. Uh, just search for Bond Jam Cast on all of the above, and you should find us. If not, uh, I don't know, just Google it, I suppose. Yeah, Google it, yeah. Uh, see ya! Bye! Bye! Bye!